listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Spirit, or the infinite, or being, or awareness, or God, or whatever we want to use, whatever word we want to use, reflects itself in three main ways. And I'm sure some would argue that it only reflects itself in three ways. Um, And that may be true, but I just don't want it to sound like an attachment. But I think St. Clement said, he who knows himself knows God. And this is the first point of contact or point of reflection wherein spirit begins to unfold. It begins to see itself through the person that knows herself. If she knows herself, she begins to know spirit. She begins to see an unfolding within her heart and within her mind simultaneously and spontaneously that kind of shakes things. And it may not feel comfortable to that in her which is desperate for familiarity. but it still shows itself. This point of reflection of the individual is where the birthing of this path begins to take shape. The path is always there, but it takes shape through the individual. And as that process begins, so too do earthquakes within that individual. In other words, getting to know ourself as a way of getting to know God, all sorts of stuff starts to really fall apart. Our face relaxes enough to where that which is behind the face begins to radiate forth spontaneously, and effortlessly. The second reflection of spirit is in the other. Whoever that may be, the other. It may be our mate. It may be our boss. It may be our president. It may be our enemy. It may be anyone. But this is really key. The second reflection of spirit is really, really important because at that point, when we recognize spirit in another, it is suddenly given itself over to something that is beyond the separate 
sense of who I am or who you are. Who, who, suddenly there's a dissolution. Difference and sameness begin to dance. In fact, this is where we see spiritual tango, as I've sometimes called it, begin to take shape, where there is a communion of self and other as the deep singularity, as the one dance. And this brings us just to our knees. It brings us just right down to earth. And it's at this point that ego begins to really lose its, uh, its grip on the entire experience. It's when we see self and other begin to shake apart as just concepts. They're just concepts in mind. And the fearlessness that is actually built upon in a meditative practice begins to support this crumbling. And the kitchen gets very hot at that point. It gets pretty dang scary. It, beca it becomes very, very unfamiliar for a practitioner, typically. Well, wait a minute. I've always known that I was God. But now... It's actually in the other person, too. You mean, you mean it's bigger than my concept of what awakening or what enlightenment was. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, goodness gracious. This is really, I am not feeling secure. And boy, right here, you can have an immense recoil from the entire path. At that point, it's, it's really, really, really key for the meditative practice to take over. I'm always reminded at this point of how important uh, material was uh, to me when I, back in the days when I was a, uh, working as a stand-up comic. Now, of course, I'm a sit-down comic, but... Uh, but um bum -tsh. Is this thing on? <laughs> I can hear crickets up here. It's silent. Uh, that's good, actually, though, right? There were nights when, you know, groups of us were on the road going from, you know, club to club to club to club, and, you know, we'd, we'd you know, get in our cars and kind of caravan to uh, Coos Bay, Oregon, after we did a show in Medford, Oregon, or whatever, or we're up in uh, Yuba City, California, and we have to somehow get down to Visalia. Uh, I mean, just these amazing, <laughs> amazingly heroic uh, jaunts uh, with nothing but uh, books on tape to keep you company. And there were points when it was, uh, it, I, I was so, you know, just exhausted from the drive, uh, I missed my girlfriend. Um, I really was wondering, you know, when is this going to turn into something beyond just, 
you know, doing silly jokes at Uncle Charlie's Chuckle Hutch in, uh, you know, Fresno. When is it? When does it? You know, get bigger than this? And it was all about the material. You could fall back on the material when you didn't feel funny. You had to fall back on the material. Let the material guide you. Similarly, we let practice, we let the process itself guide us. And this is the third reflection of spirit, the process itself. It shows up as a very natural opening that is dying to happen, literally dying to happen in every moment. And it takes on a certain path. People argue about this, uh, this path or, the, or you know, models showing a map which is not to be confused with the territory, but that there are maps that kind of show us how this process works. And once we recognize that something's bubbling within, and that thing that's bubbling within bursts to recognition, and we recognize from that recognition, I know that may sound confusing, but we recognize from that recognition, oh my goodness, it's in everybody else too, whether they see it or not. And in that big giant shift, suddenly what becomes really important is the process. The process itself must be attended to. You don't just have awakening experience that, that's personal and awaking, uh, an awakening experience that's, say, interpersonal and then go sit on your couch and have a cigarette. You know? It's, that's not the way it works. You're not done. The process continually unfolds and at that juncture there, really, really uh, powerful continuance is supported. So I wanted to give you guys just real quickly kind of a map uh, or model. I, I spent last weekend with a group of people and a, a rather um, well-known American spiritual teacher and he and I had a very uh, interesting, interesting uh, interchange in relationship to how his he sees the model of awakening work, and I think he's got some amazingly good points. But I disagreed with what I'm seeing. Based on what I'm seeing, something different is kind of happening. So I'll just trying to draw with my hands here how this process, the third, third reflection of spirit kind of shows up. At our most contracted, there's a collectivized um, self, nation, tribe, okay? This, this tight, bound chunk of humanity can really, really do wonderful things, but it also is about as far away from opening as possible. 
when as a group, groups can do very, very unawakened things. And, you know, we can identify very much with our particular group. And if we're not careful, that leads us uh, into a place that's kind of, you know, veiled rather thickly from spirit. We recognize, though, at some point that there's a, an experience that's not just about the group, but it's about me. Not I, but me. Mine. Okay? And in this, this slight expanse, we have the birth of the separate, the separate self in a way that's not grouped, but ungrouped and individuated. And we can last there for quite a while. In fact, there are tons of human beings that stay kind of at that second, that second level for quite a while. But usually, everybody on a spiritual path recognizes that that's limiting, that it's limiting and limited. And this limited experience begins to, we, something in us starts to brush up against this boundary. And so there are breaks that happen. And it's like putting ourselves through the eye of a needle, but it happens anyway. An excruciating event happens, okay? Something is taken away. We're reminded that we lack something. Something's missing. And that pressure that begins to build starts to allow a deepening. And this deepening is a, a greater expanse into the area of uh, a personal relationship to spirit. Sometimes we call it soul. We call it soul. And in that soul, the very beginning of that process from the contracted separate into something just a little bit broader, something that's slightly spiritual, there is the birth of, um, shall we say, this process towards awakening. There's a conscious birthing of that third reflection of spirit, the process. And this process begins to carry us towards the outer edge of this soul. And we get to the outer edge of the soul through a stillness practice through the recognition that there is more than just me, that there is in fact an I and a you and a we and an all. And from that point, when that meets with stillness, when that meets with stillness, the break into the absolute or into the infinite shows up. And once that happens, everything changes, if we're lucky. And what I mean by that is it's very simple to just kind of say, oh, well, I got what I needed. I'm done. No. That would imply a me. And until the me is gone and transformed, into an awakened I until the you is gone 
and transformed into an awakened I until the process itself starts to fall away and comes back as an awakened I. We don't touch the face of God. We don't resonate with spirit. Once all that does happen, though, then the gift is we get to come back into this process is something much bigger, and it's conscious. It's a conscious growth that is designed, that is designed and is showing up as something that is totally evolutionary and revolutionary. We don't stop at the infinite. We recognize the infinite. We let it leak into every single aspect of our being and our concept of everybody else's being so that it goes beyond concept itself. And the path that we have taken begins to fall away. And we just live from that place. And as we do, we push the path along. We actually become the energy that pushes others on the path along. And we don't do it with force. We do it by just being. We consciously engage in the world. We consciously engage in our lives, in the lives of others, and in the lives of everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone across the globe. What I mean by that is when I say others, I can oftentimes just slip into a, you know, those in our immediate sphere. We talk about the whole, everybody, everybody, for the sake, as we say in Zen, of all beings. And it doesn't stop. Yet it is forever still. How's that for a paradox? I'm really curious about what the person whose workshop you went to's vision of enlightenment is, that where you di or what the difference is. Well, I think he and I uh, agree on a great deal. Um, I think my approach appeals probably to a different uh, um, uh, a person who's perhaps. just a little different. Uh, I don't see his model, I think, has some really great opportunities for egos to think that they're enlightened. And um, while I don't want to really diminish what it is that he does, I think that that just creates a situation of perpetual judgment, of coldness, lack of compassion, and uh, thinly veiled forms of um, aggressive spirituality. Uh, and my feeling is, if you're not incorporating grace and ease into the naturally aggressive tendencies of much of the rest of the world, we're not doing many people very good at all. So... Um, 
while awakened egos are easier to be around than unawake, uh, 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 sleeping egos, so to speak, <laughs> uh, I still think that um, the single most important element of the third reflection of spirit is a continual process of conscious surrender. That does not mean giving in. It means giving up. Giving up your position, giving up your sense of truth, your sense of it, giving up all the personal egoic clinging, and in the process, the truth, capital T, reveals itself through your unobstructed knowing, capital K, of what's real, capital R. If you just put a capital on it, everybody knows what it means, I think. Really. <laughs> the question is a little different, and it really has to do with uh, the perception of um, enlightenment. I guess I want to ask the question, what is the, what is the perception or the Zen or the Buddhist perception of, of death or what happens after life. Whatever I say, ego's going to jump on. Whatever I say, ego will jump on. So I want to be really careful. Okay? If I tell you that there is, uh, uh, that you're going to come back again, that you just get to do this all over again, kind of like we, we, live, uh, we live several Live, instead of Groundhog Day, it's Groundhog Life. You know, great flick. You know, Harold Ramis's film where right. he keeps coming back and he lives it again and again and again. Well, if we do that with our life, um, and there are plenty of traditions that say that's exactly what happens, I, all I can say to that is, uh, okay, maybe, um, but I don't remember my past lives. And uh, so, therefore, all that my experience seems to kind of uh, um, shake and rattle within, it just seems to tell me that this now is all we ever really have. So, um, maybe reincarnation happens. Maybe it doesn't. I think it's really kind of immaterial to this entire practice. If you want to feel like there is something after this life, then that want itself is getting in the way of awakening. Awakening really is just about the, the, uh, the recognition of the deep singularity and this total imperative to bring that singularity into the world back into the world, back into the world, back into the world. So, do you die? Buddhists and Hindu, you know, people in all the traditions are going to have real cool different uh, articulations, maps, and so forth that will explain that. My humble answer to that is, who cares? Dig into that. Dig, go, go figure out who cares, and you will figure out 
exactly what the lock to the cage looks like. Who cares? I say that with a tender heart. I don't mean, I'm not trying to brutalize you or anybody else by saying that. But who is it that cares? Go there. And then that's an eternal life. What comes from that is eternal. Thank you. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. Yeah. I thought there was another game last week. Uh, <laughs> it was a game. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> My comment is just that there appears to be great freedom in not knowing. It's a big letting go. And there's a lot more happiness in that place. There's less conflict within and without, it seems. So... That's just my comment. Yeah, now let go of that. Indeed. Indeed. Um, that's a key step, though. Yeah. I mean, as much as you and I brush it aside, it's so key. Yeah. Letting go of the letting go right. is where the surrender begins to then show up as a perpetual grace and ease. Right, right. Because even the letting way. go creates an even wider array Right, of right. Uh, mobility in this ephemeral world. The ephemeral world becomes a phenomenal experience, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Michael, you talk about grace and ease, and I'm not sure if I know what that exactly looks like. Do you know what it feels like? Occasionally. Have you ever been... Um, have you ever felt your knees weaken at the glory of anything, but especially California wildflowers here in Lafayette? Or a sunset. Or a sunset? Yes. Okay. You know exactly what it looks like. Because then that sunset shows up even in horror there's a recognition that that grace and ease that is perceived as being bound by the sunset experience is unbound and shines equally through all experience as we begin to let go of the letting go. Now, if you hear that with your brain or your mind, it goes, you know, and you start making strange faces probably and, and you'll start to twitch. But if you listen with your whole body, the Dharma leaks. It leaks into me and to you, everybody, as a sunset and as death. Thank you. Very welcome.